Welcome to Change Hackers, providing daily insight and inspiration for people changing their world. I'm your host, Tony Cook, and I invite you to join me today in conversation with someone on the front line of driving change and transformation. My guest today is Dr. Sean Davis. Sean is Global Director of Safety, Health, Wellbeing and Sustainability at the Royal Mail Group, one of the world's oldest postal services dating back over 500 years, employing 160,000 people to deliver 58 million items per day across the UK. Sean joined Royal Mail Group in 2012 and has since led improvements across a wide range of areas, including accident prevention, employee attendance, well-being, physical and mental health. I spoke to Sean by phone from London. So, Sean, welcome to Change Hackers. Thank you. We met on um, the One Planet MBA program down at Exeter. And when I started doing this, I thought, do you know what? Sean's going to be a great person to talk to because you're kind of in the thick of it. You've got your sleeves rolled up and you're doing a big job in a big company um, trying to drive change around a really, really important, difficult agenda. Um, I'm thinking particularly around health and safety in a, a business that's, you know, it's all about people on the ground and lots and lots of activity going on every day. And how on earth can you get your arms around all that? So there's, there's a whole piece around that in terms of culture change around, yeah. you know, driving transformation. But then you also take on this well-being brief and sustainability. So but where I'd like to start is just exploring where your passions for health and safety in particular, but um, well-being and sustainability as well came from in the first place. Um, I think if you're going to be a truly sustainable organisation, then it's really you look after your people. And I think one of the best ways that you can demonstrate that your people are important to you is to keep them um, safe and healthy at work. So that's kind of always been my kind of one of my kind of drivers, if you like. I also think that um, health and safety has come on so much in, in in a number of years. I think in the last, particularly in the last ten years, um, I think health has come on the agenda. So. The Health and Safety at Work Act is, is 44 years old this year, but up until said the last maybe five to ten years, health's been a, a bit of a silent partner on it, to be fair. Um, but I think that's really coming up the agenda now, and, and people well, talk I was just about it. Say, and I think, yeah, absolutely. especially mental health, mental well-being, resilience, and uh, we live, yeah, we live in a really fast-paced world, as we know, and I think uh, there's a, a real. Um, instant gratification requirement you think the example i, I used the other day with talking to my team were years ago you know if you, if you liked a particular author you, you know you'd read a book and then you'd wait a year till another book came out uh, and then it became um you know you really liked an author and then you'd wait a couple of months and it'd come out online um and then um recently you know you, you wait you, for, a, for a book you push in for that book and then the, the day it comes out you download it um, and uh, or, or you get it through a, a delivery agent. You kind of you, you order it same day delivery. You know, you used to wait three or four days for a delivery, and that'd be no problem. And then you might wait 24 hours. And now you can go onto a, a site and select something and, and say, I want it by six o'clock tonight. So I think there's a the the the, the world we live in has got faster, and expectations are higher, and requirements are tighter. And 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 I think that that just plays out into into everyday life. And and you, I guess you see that in terms of the the toll it takes on on your workforce, um, in terms of that pressure to you know tighter and tighter timeframes, and you know less and less tolerance. Yeah, I think um, customers and, and we work in a really competitive um, environment generally, not just in the postal sector, but I think uh, it, you know generally, and that, but I think that uh, it does. It's a 
challenge that we've got, especially when you've got such committed people as we've got within Royal Mail, and they're really determined to give the customer the best experience that they can. Um, you know, there's kind of making sure that, that we're balancing the reality of things and, as, and, and expectation management so that it's not putting undue pressure on people. Well, where do you remember sort of first taking an interest in health and safety? Has it always been something that you, you've, um, you've had a passion around or, or did it grow on you from somewhere? My dad, I think, my dad worked in the steelworks in Sheffield while I was growing up and I remember oh. my dad coming home and talking about the conditions that people worked in. Uh, and he's, he's not a man of, of many words, my dad, to, to him. So if he spoke about it, I knew it was something that was important to him because mm. otherwise he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have had a view on it. And I remember him talking about the conditions that they worked in. I think that kind of got me thinking about it from quite a, quite a young age because it sounded, it, some of those places that he worked were, sounded like Victorian England in terms of the sweatshops and the conditions that they worked in. So I think that got me interested in it. Um, but then I went, I went to university um, and I went originally to be a teacher when I was uh, 18, 19. And uh, uh, teaching just was not for me. And uh, but I wanted to use my teaching qualification, and I, I got a job in a in a, a safety hire company, um, and um, doing training and uh, and the like there. And I, I I heard the stories of safety out on site and how I could see it was a, a real emerging uh, and evolving market, and it just really excited me. And, and then. Once I learned more about safety and what you could do and the positive impact you could have as a safety professional on, on individuals and on organisations, yeah, I wanted a I wanted a part of that. So it kind of it satisfied satisfied a few drivers in me really in terms of that that caring driver, that ethical uh, and responsible employer, um, and also from a personal point of view, I, I think I think I have got the best job in the UK. Because it's so varied. I think, you know, I, every single day is different, whether I'm dealing with frontline, whether I'm dealing with the unions, whether I'm dealing with complicated cases, whether I'm looking at language, whether I'm looking at management systems, whether I'm dealing with external bodies. It, it, every single day is different and, and exciting and um, gets me to kind of have to view the world through through different lenses. And, and I think that that, that keeps me personally engaged and excited by, by doing what I do. Well, that's a wonderful position to be in that many people would aspire to be. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but it's, you know, it's the sweet spot, isn't it? It's exactly where, where we should all be aiming for, you know, where you, you cease to think of your work as work, really. It just becomes, you know, it's a vocation. Um, you know, you feel yeah. compelled to do it and you, and you love it. Yeah. So many of my friends say to me, you know, when they're talking about work, and I'll, I, you know, I talk, they'll say, you don't, you've no idea how lucky you are that you love your job. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, it is tough. It is a tough job. It's a demanding job. There's lots of, you know, I've got lots of, of um, internal customers with with high expectations and, and strong requirements. But if you love what you do and you're connected to it and you feel mm. a sense of purpose and, and value value add, then it, it, it ceases to become a, a chore and it does become something that you you, know, you love doing. Now, I hope you won't mind me describing you this way, but I I, I would see you as a sort of a, a um, an evangelist for 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 health and safety, and I mean that in a in a really positive way in terms of you know being part of reframing the narrative around it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, at the time when you first got into it, going back what fifteen twenty years or whatever, the the 
yeah. the, the prevailing narrative around uh, around health and safety and it's the perception of it by many in business was that it was kind of people who got in the way of you getting things done and you know, it didn't have yeah. a good image at all um, and, no. and you've been you've been a, a really you know important figure in kind of trying to shift that perception well, I, um, thank you for saying that because that's that's how I want to be uh, seen. Because I think um, I I always say this to my team: without a successful business and without a, a, a you know a, a business that's adding value, there's no need for a support function. So you know you don't need to be you know if, if we're not if we're not a successful organisation, you wouldn't need safety, you wouldn't need HR, you wouldn't need right. IT. So I think yeah, all yeah. support services, it's incumbent on them to be part of the success of the business. So um, that's one. That's kind of one um, value I hold really strongly. The other one is as well, and, I, and I'll be very blunt when I say this. I would say any idiot can tell you what's wrong. You don't have to be a skilled professional to say that's not right. The skill is in helping the organisation um, to find a fix and to work through something that works. That that means that you, you know, you as a professional, it satisfies what you what you need, what the minimum standards are, or the legal requirements are, or your your, you know, your values are. But also that it, it um, that the customer understands the internal customer understands why you're why they've got to do what they've got to do and you, and you come to a a win win solution. So to me, the worst kind of safety advisor uh, or safety professional or environment professional for that matter is someone who turns up, says that's not good enough, that's wrong, and I'll be back in two weeks, sort it out. Because where's the skill in that? To me, there is none. I think um, the value that you add to your organization is being is being part of the fix there's a strong theme here for i mean if you can trace it back through your own career um not least the the commitment you've shown in terms of you know tooling yourself up professionally what what you've sort of cottoned on to i think is is that you know you've got to you've got to understand the vocabulary and the perspectives yep. of others that you're working with and and yep. reframe the arguments if you like um in their terms to make the business yeah. case for what you're trying to get done, uh, but also to align what you're trying to get done so it delivers for them. Yeah, that's exactly why I did my MBA. Exactly that reason. So when I, I did, lots of people said to me, you know, you've got your, you know, you've got your traditional safety qualifications, you've got your NEBOS, you've done uh, a certificate, a diploma, you've done your safety call, but you know, you've you've you got there, and, I, and that wasn't enough for me because I, the reason I did my MBA was because I wanted to be able to talk to a HR director about what safety could do for things like employee engagement, attraction, retention. I wanted to talk to the operations director about what health and safety could do to help with productivity and um, uh, providing a great customer experience. I wanted to be able to talk to the, the finance director about what safety could do um, for financial performance and, and importantly, what, it, what it negative impact it could have. And I thought I need. I felt I needed to have a credibility with these people to be able to understand what drove them and what was important to them. Mm. Um, because otherwise, it was very one-sided. Because it's all well and good for safety advisor, safety professional to go out there and say you need to do this because health and safety work says, or you need to do that because the management regulations say. It felt something like a very one-sided relationship. So I, I, I wanted to be. Um, I wanted to partner. There's certain things that stick in my my head. So certain things like so Stephen Covey's um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I yeah. think, is brilliant. And I think a safety professional wouldn't go far wrong to to kind of 
stick to those principles with think win-win being a key part of that, mm-hmm. um, as well as understanding the, the perspective of the other person. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of a big fan of, of that as a as a guiding principle. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of that book too, and it's um, having. Uh, fortunately read it early enough in my career for it for the lessons to sink in and be able to apply them so just just going back to this this question of, sort of education and uh, um you you make no secret of the fact that you're you've you hold four master's degrees you've also got a doctorate um i mean would it be fair to refer to you as a voracious learner have you always had that kind of growth mindset not really, if I'm honest. It kind of, um, I've always been interested in learning. I've always been interested in, in learning new things and, and, uh, and getting different perspectives uh, right back to, uh, right back to primary school. I think my professional qualifications and particularly, um, the, the, the master's degrees and my doctorate came later on when I, you know, when I started working in, in big businesses, once I realized that I wanted to, a keep current to to things that were being discussed, and also have a credibility. And if I'm honest as well, there was a bit of imposter syndrome in there because I've I've had a you know I've got a, I've got really senior jobs. I've had a um, a really strong career, and I kind of a couple of times I thought I need to I feel I need to validate myself through education. Mm. And I've not really made mm. any secret of that because um, that was just a, that was something personal within me. Um, but I think you know you need to recognise that if that's how you feel. You know? But it's very common. It's very yeah. common, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know this imposter yeah. syndrome. They say nine out of ten people feel it. Well, yeah. <laughs> that can't be right, but it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in my, my my internal voice, my little internal voice is kind of um, saying things like, "What does a you know what does a guy from South Yorkshire, whose mum was a nurse, whose dad was a steel worker, how's he managed to be a safety director at a one hundred company?" And I, and actually, I kind of wanted to you know i've done it through education and drive and ambition but i thought right i want to validate it back it up with some really some meaningful qualifications for me just to kind of help me feel more uh comfortable in the job that i did and i think you know you need to listen to you, yourself at times if that's what you need to do that's what you need to do plus the fact is all my qualifications that i've done have been very deliberate they're, they're not abstract there's qualifications that i've done where i would learn tools techniques models disciplines that i could use in my day job right once you'd got some some direction around where you want to do in your career, it was then a case of well, where do I feel what my weaknesses are, and yeah. and and going yeah. out to very deliberately and 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 choosing to do masters that 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 complement each other, that build up that yeah. picture to make you the more sort of rounded, rounded. Yeah. Um, the MBA, individual. the MBA was very 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 deliberately chosen um, because I I want people to to view me as. Um, a business professional with a health, safety, and well-being passion. I don't want to yeah. be just the the health and safety bloke. And at some point, I guess career-wise, um, you know, the, you reach the top of the tree from a health and safety point of view. Um, you know, in a functional role, and a lot yeah. of people in in functional roles, whether it's comms, corporate affairs, you know, HR, whatever, um, experience this. That that you know, there's then a glass ceiling to get beyond that into you know into a CEO role or you know, it's, and you've got to start positioning yourself as a generalist, yeah, as as much as yeah. a specialist. Yeah, I think you have to kind of um, decide what it is that you want to do. You you work up your you work up through your your career. You get the 
the big job and then you need to think about kind of what it is now so for me i am um i i'm really interested um in the hr world and i think as a as a um a global hr director with the passion that i've got for safety health and well-being would be is when i'm kind of setting my next sights because i think that that is a an area where i can still still keep interested in in uh, health safety and well-being which really interests me but i can also bring a different dimension to things and different aspects and and uh, and and i think the people agenda and the safety health and well-being agenda are so um linked and there's overlaps with industry relations employee relations employee engagement language etc etc that to me is a is a is a kind of natural next step i think particularly that that health and well-being agenda I mean, it's become so so important within the workplace you know there's been so much good evidence um published in recent years about you know, yeah. the cost to productivity of you know poor mental health poor physical health and so yeah. on and, and I mean, you you have this i was really snappily titled um uh, first class fitness or whatever it is. we do <laughs> Pro- yeah. program so at, um, at royal mail yeah. why not play we've on got that? our feeling play first class program so feeling first class is our health and well-being program. feeling first class that's it that's yeah it. and then yeah. below that we've got the strands of we've got first class health we've got first class fitness we've got first class driving um, we've got first class support, which is our employee assistance and mental health program, um, and then we've got our safety improvement program, which is first class safety. They're all programs for driving change, one way or another. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and fr- from a personal perspective, what how how would you describe your own attitude to change now, and and how's that changed over time? I think. Um, as I've worked in bigger organisations, um, I have had to um, lower my expectations of, of the time things take. I'm naturally quite an impatient sort of person. Um, mm-hmm. And when when you're in a business, I thought there were big businesses and I worked in, you know, five, 6,000 people businesses. Um, but when you're in a, you know, a business like Royal Mail, 142,000 with 20,000 temporary staff at Christmas, et cetera, you've got to be realistic and be kind to yourself, I think, in terms of um, the things that you, you know, appreciate how, how uh, difficult change is. And also understand that, that it lands at different in different ways um, and at different times and that there are things, you know, regional and subcultural variances and things you have to consider. So the, the lessons I've learned as I've gone in, on in my career have been a, have been a bit, um, sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. Um, and uh, you, you definitely need to, you and... yeah, take people, yeah, to definitely take people along with you. One of one of the phrases that I use regularly within, within internally is health, safety, and well-being. You cannot do it to people; you have to do it with them. And actually, and mm-hmm. doing it with them, there is a time aspect associated with it because you know you, they have to they have to want to do it, and people get to a, a conclusion of whether they want to do it or not at different times. You know, you can tell people. You know that exercise is good for you. Some people go right. I'll go to the gym tomorrow. Some people want a month to think about it. You know that's the example that I would use. And you can't impose things on people, which is why the self-efficacy principle of people owning the health, own health and well-being, uh, and, and the same in safety, is a is a big deal to me because you know people we're all adults. You know I, I I'm I'm just like everybody else. I, I don't want to be told what to do. I want to be given information to make my own decision. So. You know, with things like smoking sedation or diet awareness, 
I could say, right, right across Rome Hill, I want you to drink two litres of water a day, have an apple, stop smoking. People would be kind of, what, what, what's that got to do with you? They're all adults, can make their own decisions. Mm. I can talk to them about the benefits of diet, exercise, hydration, losing weight, stopping smoking. I can give them the evidence base and encourage them to do it and, 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 and help them to do it if that's what they want to do. But it's certainly not my role to tell them what to do because, as I said, they're all adults and they can make their own decisions in about what's appropriate for them or not. Yeah, absolutely. In in terms of cut up thinking about the the the, the backdrop, the context of this organisation, because Royal Mail, for those that don't know it, that aren't you know from the UK that are listening, you know it's it's one of the oldest companies um, in the country. It's got five hundred year plus history behind mm. it. You know. It's, mm come come from the public sector um i guess we know with all the kind of you know state monopoly um position it had for many many years of course in a totally different environment now um it's got a different organizational form now as a listed company um yep. uh, uh, you know what's what what's your sense of the weight of responsibility and all that history behind you and and facing an uncertain future and how you you know how you support and lead through that um, where there's no there's no certainties. I think the heritage and the cultural piece, you know, the, the over 500 years history is just amazing. I, I cannot believe that I, I work for an organisation with its origins in uh, in the time of Henry VIII. It just blows my mind. I think it's and it says a lot about um, why the Royal Mail is so strongly. Um, people in the UK etc because of that deep rooted culture also we've got some you know we've got some uh, uh, workplaces where we've got two and three generations of people you know grandfathers fathers and sons and yes. grandmothers mothers and daughters working side by side and, and being very strong uh, active parts of community that that's just again fantastic in terms of um of how it enables me to kind of connect with people at multi generation get different perspectives but it is a very very tough um tough market it's very very competitive we've got you know we're strongly regulated we've got um you know people kind of slapping our heels in the in the parcel business trying to kind of take our business away from us so we have to remain really committed to our, our customers and and to giving them the service that they they want and expect and keep that keep that confidence there really and, and we do that to our people our, our people are and i you might think i'm biased but when i when i compare it to the place i've worked our people are just amazing compared you know, when I compare them to to you know, others. They just really do value our customers, go the extra mile. Are very proud of the of the, the organisation that, that they work in, and, and really want to be seen to be doing a, a good job. And that you know, that that's that's really helpful for the sort of work I do. That level of kind of mission and um, you know personal alignment to to what the organisation is doing. I mean, I guess the roots of it for Royal Mail are, in, uh, as with companies like the Met Office or Ordnance Survey and others that have spun out into the private sector, um, it, you know, it's rooted in public service ethos. Yeah, um, yeah, and, uh, and, and, um, and, and many and... companies that were, yeah, 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 exactly, and many companies that were born private never had that heritage, never had the benefit of that kind of culture um, to begin with. You know, seem to be desperate, falling over themselves to create it from, yeah. from out of nowhere, um, having just you know pursued the profit mantra for for um, for years. How much of a competitive advantage do you think going forward that that ethos is? 
I think it's I think it's hugely a huge competitive advantage because I think you've got people who want to do a good job, people who want to go the extra mile. Now I've got we've got to guard against that. So you know, in the interest of being balanced here, um, that's not always a good thing. So if you look at the bad weather that we've just had, the severe weather that we just had in um, uh, at the start of the year, when you've got people absolutely committed to getting the mail out and wanting to support our customers and make sure that you know. Uh, all the mail gets through. When you're then saying, "Don't compromise your safety. Don't don't go out there if the yeah. conditions are not right, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, um, it it can create challenges because um, you, you're pushing against what is someone's again personal value that they want to do the right thing. You're having to say, "No, don't comp. You, you are. We'd rather the we'd rather the mail was held back and we caught up with it than you went out there and slipped and broke your leg." But when they want to really make sure that they're going to get the mail out because we've got this strong sense of purpose. That, that can create a bit of a challenge at times. And we're doing a bit of a, a deep dive on that at the minute in terms of uh, whether the um, opportunities might be to kind of share lessons and et cetera. Going back to your growth mindset, and, and you know, you clearly it's something that's really important to you personally. I'm just curious as to how you go about fostering it in others, whether it's within your own team or across the wider organisation. <laughs> I've used different things really. I've kind of through, through career development conversations or through um, um, kind of one to ones, etc. I just try and encourage people to think um, differently. I I'm really proud of the safety profession. I really am, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm part of it. But they can at times be a bit silo and follow the traditional routes of you know up through a safety certificate onto a safety diploma, maybe then onto a degree. Um, and it's and I've said something. You know, think think broader about what your contribution could be. Because you know, my vision is that I've got a multidiscipline, multi-skilled team. So um, if I was faced with someone who got a, a so assuming they've all got safety certificates, they've all got a core competence, but then someone's got a someone's got a diploma in safety, or someone's got a diploma in um, uh, communications or neurolinguistic programming, who would I pick? Well, I'd probably pick the latter because I've got plenty of people that have got the core competencies. What I want is to somebody to think differently or to complement the team and to bring a different dimension to it. So I just would encourage safety people to not pigeonhole themselves and always go down the, the most conventional route. Now, I know that it's got its part to play, but I just think um, if we're going to you know, really challenge the profession and really start really continue to make improvements then i think i just think more widely i really is what i'd say i think as a profession that they're as guilty of it as as any other profession for you know creating their own language and you know that's impenetrable to others and and you know uh, and and, um and being quite inward looking you know know, so many of the challenges we face whether it's within an individual business or more broadly across society require much greater collaboration across disciplines yeah i think um i think the language thing that's a that's a subject really close to my heart so if i think about the safety professional so imagine safety professional goes into a meeting i've seen this happen they go in and they say yeah right let's do performance so we've got uh, an ltafr of uh, of 0.51 and that's a reduction of seven percent on the last period what does that Not mean a lot to me what does that actually mean <laughs> to don't me yet so You've got to firstly understand what that means. You've got to understand that LTAFR means lost time accident frequency rate. You've then got to know that that lost time accident frequency rate is a, is um, a, you know, a, 
how much time's been lost relative to the amount of hours or people that have been at work, et cetera, et cetera. You're much better off going in and saying, you know what, in, in, the last, in the last period, we injured three people. In this period, we've injured five. And those injuries were X, Y, and Z. And they happened to Joe, you know, Lily, and blah, blah, blah. Bring it to life. That's got much more value than, than a meaningless figure. So I try and humanise reporting wherever I can. Now, we are bound to you know, certain reporting standards that we, that we use. And things, for things like benchmarking, et cetera, it's really helpful. But day-to-day, I should be looking at, you know, is the work that we're doing, is it adding value? Are we injuring less people? If not, why not? How many, what's the frequencies? How often are we injuring people? And when we do injure them, is it less or more severe than it was previously? And if it's more so, why so? Why and what we're doing about it? So I think language and connecting people to what it is you're saying is, is hugely mm. important. And I think that probably um, comes down to, to to a personal kind of value of mine. I get really switched off if I don't understand something. So if I don't understand all the, the acronyms or, or um, the point that someone's trying to make, I just, I lose it. I just can't follow their their thought. If someone tells me, a, a, tells me in a story and, and brings it to life, um, in a different way, I buy into it, and I think we're right. Yeah. You, um, you strike me. You know, listening to you talking, you're very, very animated. You've got a very clear sense of the approach that needs to be taken. You know, your own philosophy on things, which, mm. which I guess you know plays into a thirst for leadership. Had you always aspired to being in in leadership positions? You've always been ambitious in that sense, or, or is that something you've got a taste for as you've gone along? I I think the primary driver when I got into safety was about having a positive impact on people at work and keeping people safe. I think once I'd got a couple of years under my belt, and I, I originally worked for Balfour Beatty, that was where I kind of cut my teeth. Yeah. And I had an amazing boss there and um, uh, took me on as a kind of training safety advisor, but taught me a lot about lots of the things that I see in myself. I have. I learned from him in terms of things like language and taking people with you and all that sort of stuff. Um, and um, it was once I'd, once my, as my career moved on and I identified that I was different to a lot of other people out there, I actually wanted to be um, a leader, as it, as it were, and an ambassadorial in it more than anything. And, and like you said, being evangelical earlier on, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm flattered that you say that because that's what I, that's what I want. I do want people to think, you know, he thinks he looks at things differently. He's got a different philosophy on things. He sees things in a in a different way, and, and to break out that, break away from that very traditional role that, that health and safety is seen as. Because I think, you said my my core belief is that it's part of my job to keep people safe, but also to make sure that the business is ethical and successful and uh, and uh, and makes positive contribution to people so at the heart and the start of it i guess it sounds like the the motive came from a dissatisfaction with that status quo yeah yeah and especially said things like the the um um the opportunity you know for for people to come into a profession that is really value-adding really rewarding and really really diverse and and uh as i said you I, I've had days where I've been in, I've been in, um, I've been out on site in the morning. I've been in the boardroom at, at, at lunchtime, uh, and I've been you know, working with the regulators in the afternoon. That's quite a, bre- quite a breadth of 
of opportunity and uh, and you know, different exciting jobs. You know, no one no one day is the same for me, let alone one week. And I think that um, they're all all my activities are focused on performance improvement, keeping people safe. And again, at the end of the week, when you go home, you feel like, you know, have I done a value-added job? Have I, you know, have I contributed to making it, you know, to making Royal Mail and and the UK safe safe place? I can look at myself in the mirror and say, yeah, you are, because they're all driven by that kind of primary purpose. And fundamentally, that matters to you. Yeah, absolutely, it definitely does. Yeah. Yeah, well, it comes over in spades. It really does. No, that's good. And and yeah, it's it, I mean, it's, it's a very strong, powerful form of servant leadership. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm really glad that you kind of summed it up that way because that's that is that's the dream. That's what I'm looking to do, and that's kind of what I would encourage other people in in the profession to. And in fact, anybody in a professional central service sort of role, think of of yourself in in that capacity and what you can bring as a uh, and just challenge the norms in your own industry and in your own uh, profession. Um, because it's through that challenging that you get that continuous improvement and uh, mm. um, drive standards up. Mm. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You too. Thank you very much. I'm your host, Tony Cook, and I'm on a mission to provide inspiration and insight for people changing their world. So check out changehackers.org to read show notes, guest blogs, and subscribe to access bonus content. Remember, this show's for you and change hackers like you. So drop me a line, tell me what you love, what you hate, or ideas you have for improving the show. And let me know if you know someone who'd make a great guest on this show. Maybe a friend, someone you work with, maybe even you. Just use the contact form at changehackers.org. I'd love to hear from you. Till next time, change hackers. <laughs>